So what kind of plant did this come from? This is not a trick question. A pepper plant. David, how in the world do you know that this particular fruit, vegetable, whatever it is, came from a pepper plant? Because you like them and you pick them. And this is a what? It's a pepper. This is going to be complicated today. Are y'all tracking with me? All right, that was part one. So far, so good. You got a 50 toward 100 so far. What kind of tree did this thing come from? Came from a banana tree, didn't it? How do you know? Because it's a banana. Guess what? Everybody gets 100 on the test. And this is about as, as complicated as it's going to get this morning. Here's one thing we know from nature. One reality about nature that is elementary and crystal clear. A tree produces fruit after its own kind, doesn't it? Every time. Last week we looked at Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 15 and we saw just how precious the freedom of radical grace truly is. And we saw our need to guard it, didn't we? It's like a precious gemstone. And if you had a precious gemstone, if you, if you had the wherewithal to purchase or, or found or were given a precious gemstone, you would guard it. You would take care of it. You wouldn't throw it around, roll it around like a marble. You would guard it and care for it. And then you would do something with it to show off its beauty. We saw just how precious the freedom of radical grace truly is and our need to guard it, but also to reflect its beauty, as we saw last week, through lives of love. How is it that we show the beauty of our freedom in Christ? We reflect that beauty through living lives of humble, serving love towards others. John Piper says, the command of love is not a new legalistic burden that's been laid on our back. It is what happens freely when we walk by the Spirit. We've been talking about the fact that salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Amen? That's the gospel that we've seen unfold in the book of Galatians so far. We're in a series through the book of Galatians called Radical Grace, the only real kind. And we've seen that. It's all about what Jesus has done. And yet we just said that, that we show the beauty of what Jesus has done through lives of love. But this is not some legalistic command that we've been given, something new laid on our backs. Rather, it's what happens freely when we walk by the Spirit. This morning, we need to see how this love comes about in our grace-freed lives. How do we get from the place where we meet Jesus and embrace his grace, realizing it's all by grace, not by works, to the place where our lives reflect his beauty, his grace, 
as we love other people. I want to talk to you this morning about the transformation of radical grace. We're going to be in Galatians chapter, 16, chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. And here's the take home. Radical grace transforms us as we follow the Spirit's lead as He bears His fruit in our lives. Radical grace transforms us. It changes us as we follow the Spirit's lead as He bears His fruit in our lives. There's a whole lot about the Holy Spirit in that, ver- in that statement, isn't there? That's because there's a whole lot about the Holy Spirit in these verses that we're about to consider. Look with me in your Bibles at Galatians or on the screen, either one. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. The screen has the New Living Translation, which is what I'm reading from this morning, where Paul writes in verse 16, So I say... Now, whenever you see something like that, what do you always need to figure out? When he says, so I say, you need to ask the question, why does he say? What's the so point back to? Well, he's just told us in the verses that precede this, the verse that precedes this, uh, particularly in verse, uh, verses 13 and 14, that we are to not use our freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 16, so I say, because that's the case, because we're to use our freedom for love, because the whole law is summarized in one command, love your neighbor as yourself, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. The only way you're going to do what I just told you should flow out of salvation, the only way you're going to live in, in the way that I just explained that, 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 that grace moves you to live is if you let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So this morning, I want us to look at the what, the why, and the how 
of walking in the Spirit. That's what these verses are about. They're about walking in the Spirit. Paul says, you don't use your freedom, back up in, 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 chapter thir- in verse 13 of this chapter, you don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You don't take the grace of God the pure, unadulterated grace of God, and say, what I'm going to do with that, now that God's forgiven me, since it's all about what Jesus has done, then I'm just going to go live however I want to. You don't take the grace of God and then indulge your freedom. Rather, you take the grace of God. You take that place of freedom. Freedom from the law's condemnation and punishment. Freedom from, from, from guilt. You take that place of freedom and you use it to live a life of loving service to others. And the way you pull that off, the only way that can happen in anyone's life ever is if we walk in the Spirit, if we let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. And so this whole passage is about what that looks like, how this dynamic works in our, in our everyday life, lives as Christians, and how we can get from point A to point B, how we can be those who are being led by the Spirit of God, bearing His fruit. So there's some things, if we're going to get there, there's several things you need to know. You need to know the what of that. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Why should we walk in the Spirit? And finally, and most practically, how do we walk in the Spirit? All right, here we go. Number one, Keep this in mind before we get started. The only test, Tim Keller writes, that the Spirit has really indwelled you as a child of God is the growth in the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know, how do you tell, how can you assess whether or not the Spirit of God is really indwelling you? Very simply, are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? And we're going to look at these as, later on as we go. But, but, but just even from the very beginning, I have to look at my life and say, do I see the fruit of the Spirit as listed in, in, in verses 22 and 23? Do I see that in my life and do I see it growing? Is the fruit getting bigger? Is it growing more and more mature in my life? That's the only real test and real proof that the Spirit of God indwells me. Or indwells you. So first of all, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Let's look at verse 16, just the first part. There's the command. Paul says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Take a peek also at the first part of verse 18. But when you are directed by... The Spirit. As Paul starts talking about this, he kind of explains for us and pretty quickly what he means by this idea of walking in the Spirit. Very simply put, to walk in the Spirit is to let the Holy Spirit guide your life. It's to be directed by the Spirit. But we need to clarify what that means with a couple of pictures and, 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 and a John Piper quote. The Spirit is not a leader like the pace car in the Daytona 500. How many, how many NASCAR fans are in the room? Are you, really? Okay, all right, there's a few more hands, okay, all right. So you know how the pace car works, it's out in front, everybody's got to follow the pace car. Piper explains this passage, and this, this concept of following 
the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is not a leader like the pace car in the Daytona 500. He is a leader like a locomotive on a train. You see, we do not follow in our strength. We are led by His power. We are carried by His power. We are followed by His, propelled by His power. So, to walk by the Spirit means to stay hooked up to the divine source of power and go wherever He leads. You know, those train cars, they're connected to the engine. And unless something bad goes wrong and and they become disconnected, they stay connected and they're pulled along the track of of their life by the engine, wherever the engine takes them. And such it is to be for us. Another angle on walking in the Spirit is seen in verse 22. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Verse 22 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Here's what it'll look like when you're walking in the Spirit. There'll be certain kinds of fruit. Love. We've seen that one before, haven't we? Verse 6, verse 13, verse 15, or 14. This kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All characteristics of Jesus himself. All attributes of Christ himself. All descriptions of the character of Jesus himself produced in our lives, this text says, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Jesus himself living in us. Isn't that an amazing thought? And you see, it's to be an amazing reality in my life and yours. To walk in the Spirit means to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Paul got this fruit image from Jesus himself. What did Jesus say back in John 15, verse 4? He said, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So all the way back to Jesus, this idea of living in such a way that God through us produces holy fruit that shows the beauty of his grace, that that reflects the, the glory of our freedom in him. It goes all the way back to Jesus himself. Walking in the Spirit then means abiding in the Spirit, staying connected to the powerful life-giving flow of the Spirit. Really, it's talking about abiding in Jesus, right? Whose Spirit indwells us? Y'all staying with me? We're talking about one Spirit. Sometimes we call Him the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we say the Spirit of Jesus. Sometimes we just say the Spirit. It's all one and the same, God's Spirit. God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're, they're, they're a, a tri-unity, something we can't fully comprehend, right? But when the Spirit of God comes to live in us, that is the Spirit of Christ. We tell kids, Jesus comes to live in your heart by His Spirit. And He really does. And so when we talk about walking in the Spirit, we're, we're in essence talking about remaining in Christ, abiding in Christ, letting Christ through His Spirit fuel us with His divine power to live as He lived, to love as He loved. So what is it to walk in the Spirit? To walk in the Spirit means to be led by the Spirit, 
by staying connected to his power at work in our lives. The second question we need to answer this morning is, why must we walk in the Spirit? There's a couple of reasons we want to look at from these verses. Why must we walk in the Spirit? The first one is this, the flesh is overcome when we walk in the Spirit. Verse 16, the second part, he's just said to us at the beginning of that verse, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. What does a sinful nature crave? Well, verse 17 tells us in general terms, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So that means what kind of desires does the Spirit gives us? Give us Not evil desires, but what? Good, holy, righteous desires, right? The Holy Spirit puts that in our hearts. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. As Christians... We now have options. Before we come to know Christ, we are here in our sinful nature, in what the Bible talks about in some places as the flesh. We are in a, sin, in a body that is fallen in sin. And the truth of the matter is, apart from Christ, we can do what? No good. No one is righteous, Romans 3 says. No, not one. No one even seeks after God. But then we come to know Christ. I hope we don't break a neck up here, but I need to pay more attention, don't I? Um, then we come to know Christ, and the Spirit of God indwells us, and suddenly, while still in this, the body of, of this flesh, this sinful nature still here with us, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart. Jesus comes to live in our hearts. And this text says something starts on the day of your salvation that doesn't end until the day of your death or the day Jesus comes back to get you. It's a spiritual war inside. Welcome to the Christian war. Sometimes we don't talk enough about that, do we? With new believers, you see, Jaden came to know Jesus about two weeks ago. Jaden's war in here, the war between the Spirit and of God in the flesh began two weeks ago. Oh, so much good happened that night. So, so, so many awesome things happened that night that, 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 that overshadow this aspect of it. And, and, and hear me, this is not all bad news. This is, this is it, war never sounds good, does it? But keep listening. There's an internal war in the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ this side of heaven. In Romans 7, Paul put it this way, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right here with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. How how many of you just hear those words and you say, man, I have lived that so many times. I mean, show, show, by the uplifted hand, they say, right? Yeah, show me. I mean, come on, don't lie now. Every one of us, I mean, I'm telling you, how much of my life has been spent in the Romans 7 or Galatians 5 
Tim Keller says the reborn person has both sinful desires and godly desires, but we most truly want what our spirit-renewed heart wants. And we do, don't we? If you're a follower of Jesus today, if you have been made, as Paul says in another place, a new creature in Christ, you truly want to obey God. Now, you do, at times, want to sin. Amen? Come on, guys. I mean, I I do. (laughs) Be honest, right? It's okay. The Spirit's going to win. Jesus wins in the end. Amen? He who began a good work in you won't stop until he finishes it. But we truly want what the Spirit wants for us. And yet there is this internal war in the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ, this side of heaven. But but take heart and don't miss this. It is not an even match. The Spirit of God in your heart and the sinful nature that still indwells you, it's not, a, it's, not an, it's not an even battle. Those are not equal foes. Amen? And that's the good news of all this. John Piper says, well, verse, verse 24 first, those who belong, how can we say that? How do we know that? By looking at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Jesus did not die to leave you a prisoner and slave to your own sin. He died to set you what? Free. He died to set you free. Now, until heaven, we're still in this body of sin. There is this internal war, but the victor is the spirit of Jesus within. Jesus who died to set us free from the power and the chains of sin. So now, as believers, we can, Romans 6, say no to sin and yes to God. We couldn't do that before. Now, because Jesus won and he rose again, he's the everlasting victor, we can say no to sin and yes to obedience to Jesus. Piper says, praise God for the war within. Because serenity in sin is death. Think about that for a second. Serenity in sin is death. Be thankful that two weeks ago, Jaden started her spiritual warfare till heaven comes. Because what that means is she's no longer peaceful in sin, which is death. The Spirit has landed to do battle with the flesh. So take heart if your soul feels like a battlefield at times. The signs... The sign of whether you're indwelt by the Spirit is not that you have no bad desires, but that you are at war with them. The Spirit, if you will, has captured the capital city, and it's broken the back of the resistance movement. The flesh is as good as dead. Its doom is sure. But there are outlying pockets of resistance, and the gorillas of the flesh will not lay down their arms until heaven comes, and they must be fought back daily. That's the picture. The war's won, but the battles still have to be fought. 
But every time we fight the battle, if we fight it in the power of the Holy Spirit, He will win. You know when we lose? When we don't draw from Jesus power, when we don't look to the Spirit who indwells us to produce in us His fruit, when we try to overcome sin on our own without faith in Christ, without dependence on Jesus. Some specific acts that the sinful nature craves are listed in verses 19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, I mean, it's this, this not rocket science, is it? The results are very clear. First of all, sexual sins will be present. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure. Second, religious sins could be present. Idolatry, sorcery, he mentions. Common in his day. And by the way, common in ours. Idolatry, it takes a different form. You don't see a lot of people bowing down to, to wooden idols in America, but oh, the idols to which we bow. And sorcery, I mean, guys, witchcraft is on the rise all across this nation, even close by our community. You're, what are you talking about? I'm talking about covens of witches. That's what we're talking about who've opened themselves up to the power of Satan directly. And that's who they worship. Relational sins, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. And then he mentions substance abuse sins, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, he says, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, listen to these words, these are sobering words, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul is not saying that it, a believer can't fall into some of these sins, these works of the flesh temporarily. In fact, are there any of you who never do? Please raise your hand. Mine's not raised. But what Paul is clearly saying is that we cannot behave this way habitually as our lifestyle and have any sort of confidence that radical grace is at work in our lives because, hear me, radical grace transforms forms us. It changes us. Because when we trust Jesus, Jesus comes to live in us by His Spirit. And the Spirit of God living in you will not allow you to live that kind of life habitually. Now, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can choose, even for some period of time, to live in sin. I've done that. How about you? And it grieved the Spirit of God. But when I was doing that, when I was living in that pattern of sin, you know what? God gave me no assurance of my salvation, and He shouldn't have. Because in that moment, what did I look like? I looked like one who did not have the Spirit of God at work in my life. Preacher, what are you saying? Well, I'm just telling you. When, when I've been in that place of living in habitual sin, 
I don't need somebody to come along and tell me, you know what, here's the deal. I know you're in a pattern of sin. You're choosing to live in this habit of sin. But you know, it's all of grace. You're going to be okay. I would like to hear that in my fleshly desire, wouldn't you? Paul says those who live that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, Paul says, I've already told you this one time. It's all by grace, but grace changes you. It is radical grace, but that radical grace totally revamps your life. doesn't leave you the same way as it finds you. So what do, what do I need to hear when I'm in that place? What, what, what do the other believers need to say to me? They need, they need to read this verse to me. I'm telling you, as I told you before, if you live this way, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? So I wake up to the reality of how I'm living. And I see the shame and the disgrace and, 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 and the hiding under a bushel, the grace and beauty of Christ that my lifestyle is doing. Remember, we're freed in Christ to do what? To reflect his beauty, to show the, the glory of the gemstone of, his, of freedom in Jesus. If I choose to live in sin, the very things for which Christ died, the, the, very, the very life that Christ died to rescue me from, then I'm taking his glory and I'm hiding it from the world. I'm not showing his beauty. And by the way, what this list shows us, we just read through it, kind of categorized it a little bit, but what this list shows us is that God does not make the kind of distinctions that we commonly do concerning sin. We see sex and drinking as more sinful than jealousy and ambition. Paul puts them all on the same list, and he says, if you live this way, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You can be stone-cold sober all your life and live in jealousy and selfish ambition and still bust hell wide open. And you see, we live in an America where it's important to say that because we live in an America that has made a virtue out of jealousy and ambition and success and greed. Please don't buy the lie that you're more virtuous and godly because you want to succeed more than your co-workers. Hear me, that has nothing to do with God and grace and salvation at all. And certainly it's not the fruit of the Spirit or of radical grace. It's just the foolish and self-righteous pursuit of things that don't truly matter and will not last past your dying day. And so, why must we walk in the Spirit? Because the flesh is overcome. But secondly, because the law is fulfilled. This is amazing. Verse 18, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When the fruit of the Spirit is present in your life, verse 23, the second part, there is no law against these things. When love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, all of those fruits of the Spirit are present in your life, there is no law against those things. Things. What does Paul mean? You, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are fulfilling the law. Again, what is the fruit of the Spirit that fulfills the law? 
Verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, I believe in this passage and, and from other passages, love is really the overarching summary of it all. Because you remember Galatians 5, verse 6, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Through love. Verses 13 and 14, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in what? In love. For the, hear it, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when we love our neighbor as ourself, we fulfill, Paul says, the whole law. When we walk in the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit, when He bears the fruit of love in our lives... The law is fulfilled in our lives by Him. Who fulfills the law in us? I just read it. It's not a trick question. The Holy Spirit who lives in us. We've been talking about this whole book. Paul's made it clear. We can't fulfill the law on our own. In fact, if we break it at one point, we've broken the whole thing. But as we walk in the Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit, He fulfills the law in us. You know, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 14, He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. The Holy Spirit lives in us to glorify Christ. He, he, he lives in us to make us like Jesus, to show us how to really live life in imitation of Christ, living and loving the way Jesus loved. So while our flesh glorifies and adores and yearns for all kinds of created things and conditions and people, the Spirit glorifies and adores and yearns for one. He yearns and glorifies and adores Jesus. And he teaches my heart and yours to quit adoring and yearning for and glorifying everything else all around us and start glorifying him. Jesus and him alone. The Spirit speaks to our heart of the beauty and the greatness of Christ. And when we walk in the Spirit, the flesh is overcome and the law is fulfilled. Well, we've talked about what it is to, to walk in the Spirit. We've, we've seen why we should walk in the Spirit. And I'm excited about it, are you? I mean, to think that this could be happening in my life more and more. You want to know how? That's the, that's, the, that's the connection, isn't it? We've got the what, we've got the why, now the how. How do we walk in the Spirit? That's the million-dollar question. How do we do it? We walk in the Spirit by believing God's promises and trusting Him to do what He has said He will do 
in us. Verse 25 says, since we are living by the Spirit. Let me translate that for you a little bit. What, what Paul's saying is, since we have life and salvation before holy God by the Spirit. We didn't earn it. It was given to us as a gift. We trusted Jesus by faith alone. And when we did, he came to live in us by his Spirit. Since we are, since we live, are living by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You know, it it boils down to this. We've got to take God at his word. Do you really and truly believe that Jesus lives in your heart? That he's there by his Spirit to produce this beautiful fruit that we've been talking about? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, understanding, long-suffering, all that. Do you really believe he's there and that he wants to, 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 to produce that fruit? He, he wants to make it so that your life starts having those beautiful divine fruits hanging on, their, on, its, on, your, on the limbs of your life. You see, he does. We've got to take him at his word. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead said it twice, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul's not talking about in that verse the resurrection of our bodies at the end of of time. He's talking about spiritual victory over sin in these mortal bodies today. And he said, if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, does he live in you? Do you believe God? If he does, Paul says, then the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, let me say that again. I mean, this is the resurrecting spirit. He will give life to your mortal bodies. He will enable you to live in obedience to God. He will enable you, in the context of Romans 6, he will enable you, 6 through 8 there, he will enable you to say no to sin and yes to Christ. He will. I mean, just think about it. Would, would, would God send his spirit to live in you to live the same? To just show up, hang out in your heart, and not do anything? Not make you holy, not make you more like Jesus. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Why would he even bother sending him if he was going to leave you as you are? Galatians 2 verse 20 puts it this way. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live every day before a holy God and I live before that holy God by faith in Jesus. What that means is when God says do something, I say, God, give me the strength through your Son who lives in me to do that. Is that the way you live your life? Is that the way you seek to follow Jesus? That's what it's all about. Paul says, the life I now live in in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul was convinced, if Jesus loved me enough to die for me, Romans 8, 32 says, will he not also along with him freely give me all things? Will he not in the moment of temptation give me power to be obedient instead of falling into sin? 
Will he not help me proactively obey Jesus and love others and sacrifice myself for the glory of Christ? He will. It's amazing. This is exactly what God prophesied through Jeremiah about the new covenant in the radical grace of Jesus. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. You may read that and say, well, we're not Jews. Well, we're the true Israel. We're the fulfillment of all the the work and plan of God in, in the church, Jews and Gentiles alike. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You know what happens at salvation when Jesus comes to live in you? The Spirit of God begins to etch into your heart the law of God. He writes it in here. Your motivation is no longer an external set of rules that you on your own try to keep. Suddenly you are motivated by the presence of Christ within. Christ the great lawgiver and keeper and fulfiller. Christ the one who, 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 who moves us to, to, to in, in, in one command, fulfill the whole thing. Love the world. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you get that, you've got it all. Isn't that amazing? Folks, that's the Christian life. How does God write his law in our hearts? By indwelling us by his spirit when we trust Jesus for our justification. And then the spirit of Jesus within us enables us to live lives of love and service to others. So how do we walk in the spirit? Well, we take God at his word. And we believe that his spirit lives within us to teach us how to love and to empower us to love. You say, well, how about the word of God? Absolutely. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So so here's how it works. Let's just turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4. We want to apply this verse. I mean, this, is, this is how I could work on a, on, a, on a Wednesday morning for you, right here. It's Wednesday morning. Yesterday, about 2 o'clock, your coworker was having a bad day, and you really hadn't done anything, but, I mean, he absolutely blessed you out, and you're ticked. You've been mad all night. You can't wait to get to work because you didn't deserve what he gave you yesterday. And when you get there, you're going to make sure he understands you didn't deserve it. And you're going to tell him what you think about him. Ever been there? But you wake up on this particular morning, and let me get my glasses. And your devotional time leads you to Ephesians 4, verse 30. Where it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God... What are we talking about today? We're talking about walking in the Spirit, right? Y'all tracking? Okay. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, mm. rage and ang- ooh, anger, brawling, brawling and slant, mm. slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. It's getting rough. And then it says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All that stuff I was thinking about saying when I got to work this morning. I've got to rethink, because what this says is that Christ loved me so much that he gave himself up for me as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And, and as pretty as a picture as that seems to paint, it paints the picture of his bloody body hanging on the tree for me, him dying for me, him pouring out his life's blood for me. That's how he loved me. And that's why God forgave me. And what I'm realizing at 6.30 this morning before I leave for work is that I'm commanded because God did that for me in Jesus. I'm commanded to go to work this morning and be kind and compassionate to this dude. But more than that, I'm commanded to forgive Just as, that's huge, Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Father, I know how much you've forgiven me, but I'm not sure I can forgive what he said. But over in Galatians, you say that we can walk in the Spirit and we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Over in Galatians, you say that we've put to death, we've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what you're saying is that stuff is dead if I'll let it be dead. And I can love and I can forgive if I will let you lead me by your spirit at 8 o'clock when I get to work and I see the dude. And before I ever get there, what Galatians means, Father is I can, I, can, I, can, I can forgive him right now at 6.30 in my recliner. Just me and you. So, Father, help me by your Spirit to forgive him. And when those feelings come up again at 8 o'clock, and probably then again at 11 o'clock, and probably at 1 o'clock today, help me to just keep going back to the cross. By your Spirit, remind me. And by your Spirit, empower me. Help me to love this person. Give me words of kindness to say to this person. So that I wouldn't grieve your Spirit. Or the sacrifice of... And I wouldn't dishonor the sacrifice of your Son. For you love me so much. You gave Jesus to die for me. That's how you walk in the Spirit. And I wish I did that every day. Every time something like that comes up, whatever the sin, temptation, struggle, I wish that's how I lived it out. Here's the deal. It can be. I can. And you can. How? Radical grace transforms us 
as we follow the Spirit's lead as He bears His fruit in our lives. If you have the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you, then He will give life to your mortal bodies. He can make that kind of stuff happen. That kind of forgiveness happen. That kind of purity and and overcoming strength happen in you and in me. What an amazing salvation. Radical grace transforms us. It's amazing. As we follow the Spirit's lead, as He bears His fruit in our lives. Let's pray together.